Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you, and again, if you're a guest, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, maybe you've been checking us out for a few weeks, and uh, just so glad to have you uh, see if this is a place that God would have you call home. And if you haven't yet, right after the service uh, through these doors is our fellowship hall. There's some really good church coffee, some of the best in the area, as well as a variety of different cookies, Then it's all free, and so we'd love to connect with you out there and uh, meet you if we haven't had a chance to do that yet. Uh, and today we're just continuing a series of messages that we're on for, for two months. It's part two today. We started this last week where we're going through uh, one of the Old Testament books, the book of Nehemiah, together. And so um, we sent out an email and we were you know, encouraging those of you that call Shepherds Gate home to do a little bit of homework, to come prepared, having already read the chapter before you came today. So you're ready for this? How many of you, you read Nehemiah chapter three? Yes, yeah, actually not too bad. That's more than we expected, so that's great. And are you wondering how in the world am I going to preach this text today, right? And you're going to see because Nehemiah chapter 3 is wild. So if you didn't get the email, you're going to want to go on, look in your spam folder, move the Shepherd's Gate emails out of your spam folder, and then open it, read it, and follow along. So next week we're doing chapters 4 and 5, and it's just an opportunity for us as a church to dig deep. That was the whole point of this series is to dig deep into God's Word. Even sometimes the texts that don't always make sense at first or they just seem kind of odd to us, um, and as a church, let's allow the word of God, as we always do here, to speak into our hearts, into our lives, which we believe God's going to do again today. So uh, there's chair Bibles right in front of you if you're in, if you're in the front row that are underneath uh, you. But we're, let's turn to page 399, uh, which is where Nehemiah chapter 3 is found. And if you weren't here last week, I'll catch you up really, really quick. Uh, Nehemiah... Uh, his family, his father's grandfather, uh, disobeyed God, and so God allowed the Babylonians to come in and to decimate and destroy Jerusalem. So, uh, and they basically took them and exiled them to Babylonians or Babylonia. So um, now they're making this uh, descent back to Jerusalem. So it's been 140 years, and Nehemiah and some other people from his people group are now going back to Judea, uh, which is where Jerusalem was at. And so that's where Nehemiah starts. And he gets there, and the first thing he does when he gets there is he's just so overcome with emotion that he just cries out to God, and he fasts, and he prays. And really, he's just, he's so glad to be in, in his homeland, this land that he's heard about from his father and from his grandfather, but he realizes the situation that he's in, that it's been decimated, and nobody's lifted a finger to try to even repair anything in the land. And so he gets this vision from God and he takes this small group of men and they go at night because they didn't want to make a big scene and they go to inspect the walls of Jerusalem, okay, because this was a really important area for them. This is like their Detroit. This is their capital. This is their city. And so you'll see there in chapter 2, uh, verse 18, it says, And I told them the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also the words that the king had spoken to me. And so here he is, he casts this vision that, hey, maybe we're the generation that God's going to use to rebuild the walls and to really take back what is ours and to make this place great again. And I want you to see this small group of men, this is what they say. They said, let us rise up and build. And isn't that cool that he got all of them on board, this small group of men, he got them all fired up. Hey, we can, this seems impossible by our human hands, but if God's behind this and this is a God-sized vision, then certainly we can accomplish this task. How many of you ever had that happen in your life? Like God has just put something on your heart 
and you just feel you have this calling from God, and it just seems crazy to everybody else around you, right? And even to yourself, you're like, man, this just seems impossible. You know, like maybe it's starting my own business, or you're gonna, you know, you're gonna do this thing, or you're gonna go on this trip, or you're gonna start this new endeavor, or you're gonna do this thing for God, and yet you know it's a God-sized vision. The only way you'll be able to accomplish it is if God is involved in it. Has anyone ever had one of those? Anybody ever have that, right? And you just trust God and God shows up time and time again. Isn't it interesting that every time you have one of those, every time God moves in your heart and in your life in that way, there's always people that come around that tell you you can't do it, that tell you you're crazy, that tell you that you're not hearing from God, you must be hearing from another source. Does anybody have those? Anybody have people like that in their lives? You're being awfully kind this morning, right? How many of us, let's be honest, we all have people like that in our lives. I'll give you an example. When I was in... Uh, when I was younger, um, I was 1,000% convinced that I was going to be an astronaut, right? You could, not, um, you could not tell me any different. Like, I was completely 100%, 1,000% convinced that I was going to be an astronaut. And I was in the fifth grade. I, it was amazing. I, I knew what I wanted to do with my life in the fifth grade. So what did I do? I went and told other fifth graders, which you should never do. <laughs> And they all told me I was crazy. They're like, you're nuts. This is never going to happen. Why? And, and so I came up with a plan that in order to be an astronaut, you have to go to space camp. Doesn't that make sense? That's the next logical step, to go and get trained. And so I found this camp in Alabama where you go for a whole week, and at the end of the week, you get to do this incredible mission. It's an awesome thing. And I said, I'm going to space camp. Here's the problem. My parents didn't have any money to send me. <laughs> Literally, zero. So when I told them about this God-sized vision, they were like, sorry, we can't help you. So I said, all right, that's not going to stop me. I went and got a paper route. Remember paper routes? Remember those things where you had a bike and you would deliver paper? I mean, it's crazy, way back in the day. Um, And I saved every penny that I had, and I tried to pick up extra jobs and chores, and I asked for money at birthday and, and, and Christmas instead of gifts. And would you believe it that at the end of all that, I was able to save up enough money to not only pay for the entire week of camp, I actually bought my first ever plane ticket, and my parents let me get on a plane as a sixth grader now and fly all the way to Alabama by myself. I got this big sticker, I got to sit next to the stewardess. It was awesome, and everything was funded by me being able to do that, so much so that when I got back, the teacher allowed me to go in front of the entire school and talk about my experience. Isn't that cool how that works? So listen, don't get discouraged. If God has put something on your heart and you know it's from God and today this is exactly what this text is gonna do, believe that God is going to work it out through you and don't listen to the naysayers that are so often in our ears and in our lives that are constantly telling us we can't do it. In fact, this is how, um, this is how he responds. I want you to see there, as these people are jeering and despising him, that's what it says in verse 19, these other people that are kind of making fun of him that he thinks he's gonna rebuild the wall. In verse 20 it says, I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper. We, his servants, will arise and build. And I love that because he gives credit where credit is due. He gives it back to God. He says, God laid this on my heart, and if this is really truly of God, then he's going to see it through fruition. And no, so now let's begin with our chapter today, which is chapter three. Are you ready? It says this, chapter three, verse one. Then Elihib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priest, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated and set its doors. They consecrated as far as the Tower of Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hanal. And next to them, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zukar, the son of Imri, built. Still with me? 
Okay, ready? Verse 3. The sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hachzah, repaired. Like how he said that. And next to them, Mezulam, the son of Berachai, son of Mezabal, repaired. Those of you that are English majors, I know I'm butchering this. And next to them, Zadok, the son of uh, Bana, repaired. And next to them, the uh, Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Should we stop there? All right, I want you to do this with your eyes, with the Bible. I want you to look at verse 6 and just go really fast, go all the way down the next side, because chapter 3 is just a long list of names. And it's the name of every person and every family and what part of the wall Nehemiah assigned them to rebuild all the way to the very end. And see, so often sometimes we read passages of scripture like this and we go, what in the world is the point of this? This is like reading a genealogy, right? You read through all of these names. God, why would you inspire him to write this? And how in the world could this possibly be applicable to my life today. But here's what we believe about God's word is that all scripture is God-breathed and that it's useful for teaching and training and instructing and helping us navigate this life, that the, that the servant of God would be equipped to do the good works that God has called us to do. And so what we're going to do is we're going to dig deeper. John warned you about that last week. We're going to dig deeper into this and see what we can come out with and what God would speak to our hearts and our lives today as we continue in our series of Nehemiah. And really, this is kind of what pops out first, is that in order to accomplish God's purpose, God's mission, the people of God have to be um, focused on a common vision. The only way that these people were ever to even attempt to begin to rebuild the wall is because they had one goal in mind. They knew what they were set out to do, and each person had to play a part. What's interesting now in the times that we live, as you read the New Testament, as you read the, New, the way the New Testament writers write, they often refer back to uh, this time of history because they refer to us, the church, as the walls. They refer to us as the stones of God, that, that the temple of God is actually in our hearts, that we are the people of God. And different churches have different mission and vision statements, and this church has definitely had different mission, vision and mission statements over time. And in a few months, we're going to be looking at what that looks like for our future but no matter what a church comes up with, it always goes back to the same goal, the same vision. Do you know what the vision, the mission of a church is? The Great Commission, right? That the church is an organization that exists for those that aren't yet part of it. That we are to go and to share God's love with others. That we are to tell other people that don't know about what God has done for them through his son Jesus Christ on the cross and the forgiveness that they so freely have through him. That's our mission. That's what God has called us to do. That is, the, that is the number one focus. And whenever we get our minds and our hearts off of that, whenever we stray, we, we forget about that. That's usually when things start to go wrong. That's usually when char- churches start to dwindle. That's usually when churches start to close their doors, right? Because they're not on point. They're not on mission. Yet all of these people were on mission. The second thing that you'll notice as he lists all of these names and he puts all of these different family groups that we can't even pronounce their names. By the way, if you're looking for new baby names, this is a great chapter, right? (laughs) You want to be cutting edge out there. Uh, You'll have a name that nobody else will have. The second thing is this, is that he had to enlist leaders. He had to delegate 
to leaders. And so if we want to accomplish God's purpose, we need to delegate leaders who will help everyone toward that common vision. And so he was so smart, Nehemiah was so strategic in making sure that these things were lined up. He had no choice but to delegate. And you know this is true in your life. I want you to think about this in every aspect of your life. In the family, right? Everyone has a role to play in the family. Not one person can handle all of the tasks in managing um, a family unit. Different people play different roles. In your places of work, if you own your own business or maybe you work for somebody, you realize that your boss or you, the owner, have to delegate. You have to get other people involved if the company is ever going to succeed, if it's ever going to take the next step forward, if it's ever going to grow. It's the same thing with the church. A church cannot function if the leaders do not delegate and raise up other leaders. And I'm so thankful to be part of a church that gets this. In fact, one of my favorite things to do as a pastor is actually to delegate. I love giving other people responsibility. And 830 laughed at that too. You guys must know this, right? I love giving people a responsibility and saying, hey, here's an area that you can take and you can have the decision-making power. You don't need to come to me. I don't need to, you don't have to clear everything by me. You can make this decision on behalf of our church. And next month is our annual Influencers Night. I hope you're all going to be there, November 4th at 4 o'clock. It's really easy to remember. November 4th at 4 o'clock, and you can have four desserts, okay? 4 o'clock, November 4th, four desserts. And we're going to talk about all of the teams that have been created just this last year at Shepherd's Gate. High-capacity leaders in our congregation that have taken on major roles and have pushed our church forward forward and sharpened our church more than it's ever been before, I believe. And so I'm just so excited to share those people and those names and and the task forces that they've been on and the things that they've done to make this place even better than it already was. But what is that in your life? What are those things that you're holding on to that need to be delegated? See, I don't always get it right. Sometimes I like to hold on to things. I'm a very detailed person, and sometimes I get in the weeds of things, right? And I need to pull out. And Pastor John, this is his new thing now, because sometimes I'll obsess about certain things in the church. Like, I really like the church being clean. I don't know if you knew this, but I really like it. Sometimes I'll just get so focused on things, and his new favorite thing is his, he'll sing to me now. And we don't have girls, we have boys, but apparently there's this uh, Disney movie called, what's it called? Elsa's the singer, I think, right? Frozen. I haven't seen it. Have any of you seen it? Frozen? And what's the song? Oh, so you know. So he sings the song to me. And then I go, okay, fine, I'll stop getting out of it. So we don't always get it right, right? But obviously that's a, that's a principle that we can learn as we see this, as he lines everything up. Uh, this last year I got to go on my sixth mission trip to Belize. And people often ask me, well, do you have a favorite one out of the six that you've been able to go on? And honestly, every single one has a special place in my heart. But the thing about this last trip that meant so much to me is that I wasn't on the planning team. In fact, I didn't lead the trip. And I led the previous five trips. I had been on the planning team. And it was so nice to be there where I spent most of my time next to other people from Shepherd's Gate just painting. And when other team members would come, because they thought that maybe I was on the inside, and they would ask me, oh, when are we going to go on to the next project? Or what are we having for dinner? When are we going to do this? And when are we going to do that? Guess what I got to say? I don't know. You're going to go ask that stressed out leader over there, because they have the spreadsheet that I don't have, and I'm just along the ride for you. I love doing that. I love seeing people being powered and uplifted in those ways. And so what does that look like in your life? And the last thing here 
is that in order to accomplish God's purpose, we have to have willing workers who will do their part. Now, this is the part that we're going to spend the most time on this morning, because as you dig into this, you really do find out um, just how much detail went into rebuilding the wall. And if you don't believe me, right, uh, that you need willing workers to do the part, you can just look at 696, right? Amen. <laughs> All of you that have that, you used to have that as your commute, now you've got to find different ways out, because if there's no workers, the work is not getting done, amen? So this is the big workforce. You have to have willing workers to do their part. And so what's interesting is you read chapter, uh, chapter 3, you find out that some of the people that Nehemiah assigned, he actually assigned them right in front of their homes. So here are these people that have been living there for a very long time, and they're staring at this d- dilapidated wall for who even knows how long. Of course they have a vested interest, right, to roll up their sleeves and to start working because they have to look at that wall, and they were so excited that they started the project. Other people that you read about were from surrounding areas, And so they came and they were willing to help rebuild the wall. And why would people from surrounding areas want to help? Well, because that was their pride. That city was their pride. That was a place where they would go and they would have their festivals and they would do things together and they would, you know, worship God in the temple. So they had a vested interest in doing that. For us, whenever we're not in Michigan, right, when we're out of state and people ask us where we're from, what do we always say? Detroit. Detroit. Some of you had a hard time saying that, right? And I don't understand why some people are so negative about Detroit or they're so dismissive about Detroit. We should want Detroit to thrive. Detroit is our city that we live in, that's in our community. And so here they are, they're all pouring their blood, sweat, and tears into doing this project together. And what's really interesting is they did it with joy in their hearts. They would go to this wall day in and day out on these hot days. They would be sweating. They would, you know, be thirsty, I'm sure. They'd be tired. All of the physical things that you can imagine and building a wall brick by brick. But what's even more interesting is that these people were not professional bricklayers. Nehemiah didn't go and get quotes from three different companies around Jerusalem and find out which company was going to build the wall. These were normal every day. I want you to think about this people. They weren't professionals. In fact, they came from all different occupations. And this is what it says in verse 8. Look at verse 8. It's perfumers, okay? For us today, those are the essential oil people, okay? Right? (laughs) Also, in verse 8 and 31, there were goldsmiths, city officials. Imagine the city officials getting involved. In verse 9 and 12, temple servants, verse 26, merchants in verse 32, and then go all the way back to the first verse, chapter 1. Who else was at the wall building that day? The priest. The priest. The religious leaders, the guys that went to school to learn, you know, the old times, learn the Torah, learn all about those kinds of things. Yet every single person was, invest, was vested in this project. How cool is that? Do you know the only person, this is what's so cool about chapter 3, the only person not mentioned in chapter 3 is actually Nehemiah. He set this whole thing up. He got everything the way that he needed it to be, and he had all the work, workers doing exactly what God had called them to do. And I love the fact that the priests weren't just in the temple doing their thing, waiting for everybody else, that they were there, sleeves rolled up, shoulder to shoulder, every single person making their contribution But we know in life that, as we talked about earlier, that oftentimes there's always naysayers. There's always people that don't believe a project's going to get done. There's people that just aren't willing to do the work. 
And so often we can get distracted by those who refuse to contribute. There were people that even after the king allowed them to come back to Judea, didn't. They stayed. They didn't even come back. There were people that had been living there for a long time and the walls weren't getting rebuilt. It wasn't until Nehemiah came along and motivated the people to do it. But I want you to look at verse 5 again. We read it, but I want you to look at verse 5, the second half. It says this, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. And in all of chapter 3, this is the only group of people that's mentioned that didn't participate. And it's interesting because everywhere else, there's names. But I don't know why, maybe this was the grace of God that he didn't put the names of the people that didn't participate. He just said the nobles. And you find out later that the average, the common people from this village actually did participate. They were part of the project, but for whatever reason, the nobles didn't serve. Why is that? Why is it that they didn't want to contribute? Was it pride? Was it because they didn't think it could get done? And it's not that different from our own lives. Isn't it interesting as you look at your family, right? Take your family, for example. You have people in your family that seem to never contribute. Anybody have any of those? You're the baptism. You don't want to go because your family's here with you today. But anybody else, right? You, just, you, you get so frustrated at them. Like, why won't they pitch in? Anybody have that at work? Anybody have that at work? The, 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 the lazy worker that won't pitch in, that won't do their job, that doesn't know, you know, that just kind of stands and, you know, uh, mails in. How about the church? Do you ever get frustrated with other people that call Shepherd's Gate home that don't contribute? Amen. <laughs> 8.30 got quiet on this one too, right? And you go, why, God? And it's so easy to just get so focused on the ones that, you, it, which for whatever reason, maybe it's family issue, maybe they're going through a season, maybe they just need time to heal, whatever that is. But so often our attitude is we can get frustrated with them. And yet Nehemiah doesn't really spend any time trying to convince them to be part of building the wall. In fact, he just lists them and he moves on and he gets everybody else working. And what's so interesting about the common people from this village, even though the nobles wouldn't help, the common people from this village worked so hard, they actually worked on a second area of the wall. And this is what you call the hard workers, the people that are willing, truly willing to roll up their sleeves and to go the extra mile. And every church, every organization, every business, every family has people like this in their lives. Think about it. Who is that in your family? Who is that at your work that always picks up the extra slack? Who is it at our church that time in and time out is constantly going above and beyond serving God? I think about just step out and serve, right? Just a few weeks ago, how we all went out in our community. Over 350 people from Shepherd's Gate went out and served. And there were people that gave up their weekend in the summer in Michigan to bless other people. And some of the projects didn't get done. So some of our people, this is crazy, you ready for this? They went back the next weekend and gave up a second weekend. We have crazy people around here that didn't even go a, a second weekend. They went an actual third, third weekend to finish the project. Because if it's God's vision and it's his will, he will provide the workers. He will make it so that it's possible. And that's exactly what we see happening in chapter three as well. And not only that, but there's also people that are willing to do the dirty jobs. I want you to look at verse 14 with me again. It says, Malkijah, the son of Rahab, I can't even say these words, ruler, I want, look at this, ruler of the district of Beth Harhem repaired the what? What gate you think that was? 
All right, how many of you would want to sign up for that project, right? That would be like, how many of you want to sign up for repairing the toilets at Shepherd's Gate, right? This is a, but here's the crazy part. What does it say he is? He's actually a ruler of a district. And I guarantee you, they probably had other people that were willing to work on other parts of the wall. And there probably wasn't a lot of people that said, Nehemiah, pick me, pick me for this one. And this area was actually where their trash dump was. And so they would go out this gate and they would take all of their trash. And because obviously, uh, they, different times, they would burn their trash. There were times when they would do really horrible things with sacrifices uh, back in the day in this area. So everybody knew this was not a nice area. It was on the southern point of the wall. In fact, Jesus, in Jesus' time, when he was teaching on hell and why you wanted to avoid hell, this is the place that he pointed to. He said, here, it's going to be like this if you don't turn and repent from your ways and receive grace and mercy. And I can't help but think about in our lives, who are those unsung heroes in our families? Who are the unsung people in our community or in our church who literally are willing to do the dirty jobs, the things that aren't that, you know, pleasing? And I, and I think about how many people here, even when we have events and church events, and maybe they are professionals in their work, work world outside of here, but then they'll sign up to work in the kitchen and do the dishes. Remember that event we just had a couple weeks ago, right? People signed up to do the dishes for you. Or people signed up to take out the trash. People willing to go above and beyond to serve others. All of this in one chapter. And really, truly, the point of Nehemiah 3 is that everyone got involved. No job was beneath another person on the social status. And again, they did it with joy in their hearts, a willingness to do that. Because when the people of God come together and each person plays their part, we actually can accomplish more than we even think or imagine. That God does more through us when we do things together. So what is it that God has called you to do? What is right in front of you? Here's the final challenge. She'll have it on the screen for you. What is right in front of you that God is calling you to help restore? Is it something in your family, in a relationship? Is it in your place of work? It is in your community? Is it a neighbor that needs help? What is it that's right in front of you? And how will God use that seemingly small act to help play your part in bringing about a greater restoration? See, God's not done with any of us yet. And at this point in the chapter, at this point in Nehemiah's story, they only got about half, as you end chapter three, it's about half of the wall is being built. And I feel that way about Shepherd's Gate. God is still writing the story of Shepherd's Gate. You know, we're only 39 years old. We're kind of a young buck on the block, wouldn't you say, right? There's still a lot more of the history of this church to be written. What is it that God is calling you to do? What is your contribution? And are you making your greatest contribution for the kingdom that more and more people would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that we know does not return void. And that God, even as we look at something from first glance that may seem like reading through a phone book, that even in that, God, that you would speak to our hearts and you challenge our minds. And we just pray, God, as we continue to dive deep, as we continue to go through this book of the Bible, that it wouldn't just be gaining knowledge, but that, God, you would be challenging us and pushing us and pulling us closer to you. So, God, we just pray, continue to be glorified in everything that we do. We love you and thank you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.